What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. We're talking about podcasting itself and how it's changing and how we are keeping up, specifically the changes that we are making inside of our podcast production agency over the last year or two. One of the things that we've done uh, was to convert to a Scrum-style project management so that we could work on two to three uh, projects at any given time that were designed to improve our podcast service for the clients. And uh, if you're not a client, why would you listen to this? Well, if you're in the podcasting world at all, or you're thinking about getting into it, um, this is a very important episode because it's going to talk about some of the things that you may not know about the complexity that goes into running a podcast, the things to think about, the things that are changing. Um, and, uh, and it'll give you some ideas if you already run a podcast for how to improve your existing show. So let's jump in. Okay, so here are the biggest uh, service improvement projects that we've run, and this is just in 2021. So the first thing that we did was work on headline and subject line optimization. And we started using a headline optimizer first. Uh, we use one from a company called, I believe it's called ShareThrough. Yeah, headlines.sharethrough.com is the actual headline analyzer uh, little program where you can test your own headlines. Uh, and then we ended up adding uh, an email subject line optimizer later after the headline optimizer worked really well. The goal was to raise the quality of our average episode title, right? Uh, and this kind of headline analyzer helps us gamify the process by giving each title that you pop in this little score, and then it analyzes the results. So it tells you, okay, this headline is a little weak because of X, Y, and Z. Here are some ideas for improvement. Uh, this headline is really strong because of this, but you might want to tweak it to get it just a little bit better. And it actually spits out a number on a zero to 100 scale. So it's been super helpful. Not only did we find ourselves writing better episode titles, but we also, you know, shared and celebrated internally when we'd write high scoring titles. So it just gamifies that whole process. So this is something that you could do across all of your content, really. So if you're writing blog articles, uh, if you're writing um, emails, if you're writing content and, and modules within a course, whatever the case is, um, a headline analyzer will absolutely help. This one in particular from the company ShareThrough uh, is going to push you to write longer headlines. And that's not always good. You know, if you're writing headlines for, let's say, a social media post or something like that, maybe shorter is better. Um, if you're writing headlines that are specifically designed for Apple Podcasts, where you don't have a lot of real estate uh, and you want to convey just the title, you know, just the subject of it or something like that, like you want to keep all of your uh, your subject uh, titles like super short and punchy, that might not work as well. And of course, a headline analyzer is going to push you to, uh, you know, to its own format. Whatever whatever one you use is going to push it towards a format. And you might find like, hey, I just I like a different format better. And you might have to experiment with some headline analyzers. But we ended up really liking the one that we settled on. And it's helping us uh, pushing ourselves internally to write better titles for everything. And, and the whole team is just looking at that, that going, wow, that was one of the best moves that we've ever made. So that was one of the best things we did in 2021. All right, now let's talk about milestone episodes. So milestone episodes are like your 50th, your 100th, your 500th, whatever, or maybe a download number. Real Estate Uncensored is something like 1.9 million downloads. So we're about to come up on 2 million uh, at some point early, uh, you know, early 22, 22, something like that. It's so like February. So we need to do something special for that, obviously. Um, so whether it's a special episode, it might be a special email, it might be a, a social media campaign. It could be a lot of things. Um, but essentially, when we watch out for that on behalf of our clients, we were able to reach out to them and get them thinking about some of those different ways to celebrate and, and get some more promotional juice out of that 
particular milestone. So the, the easiest way for our clients was to just jump on the phone with me and do some strategy calls. And then we were able to get creative about episode ideas. Uh, in one case, it actually led to me guest hosting on one of our client shows for his 450th. Uh, one of our uh, one of our earliest clients that just surpassed 500 episodes uh, jumped on and did a special two-part episode with a particular uh, guest that he really liked that he felt like his audience would go go nuts over. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can celebrate milestones. But essentially what you're doing is it's giving you the opportunity to uh, build like credibility and social proof with your show that you've been going for this long or that you have X number of downloads. It, uh, sometimes it just makes your own audience pay attention and go, wow, I didn't, I didn't know the show was that successful. Like, oh man, I, like I really need to listen more often. Even that is, is a good thing because it gets more engagement from your existing audience, let alone the fact that I tend to, to see this kind of through the grapevine, but you hear these little snippets of, oh, did you did you hear the so-and-so's YouTube channel just passed you know, 70,000 subscribers? Did you hear the so-and-so's doing you know X amount of dollars in affiliate income and you know the, his podcast hit number one in this certain category or whatever? Like, this is the kind of thing that people talk about behind the scenes and in the hallways at events and you know at masterminds and stuff like that. And, uh, and it gives the show credibility. It gives you credibility as the host. It does a lot of things for you. And it can lead to some bigger opportunities just by people kind of whispering things. But hitting those milestones gives people something to talk about rather than just, oh, have you heard Matt's podcast? It's like, okay, great. But if you say like, hey, I heard Matt's podcast just did 2 million downloads, that's a whole different thing. So it gives people... Uh, something tangible to base their word of mouth on. And word of mouth is about 60% of podcast growth. So if you can give people something concrete and a reason to talk about your show, that's a good thing. And it helps drive word of mouth. Okay. So that's number two. Uh, number three is uh, updates to our client emails. So what we wanted to do with our emails for podcasts is make them more useful for gauging the growth of their audience and decision making on topics. So we added... Um, what I'm talking about is that not the email that goes out to the audience to tell them about a new episode. This is the update email we send to our clients that gives them an update on the health of their show. What we wanted to do is give them a new stats graph that's more readable and actionable than some of the graphs we've used, in my opinion, and some of the other ones that you can get just spitting out of your podcast hosting system like Libsyn. So we wanted to give our clients like a better sense of where audience growth is going. And to me, when you look at a daily graph, it's just it's like the stock market ticker. There's too many ups and downs to really draw conclusions out of there. And like Tim Ferriss said, most of the time when you look at those spikes or troughs of um, you know big highs and and lows lows in your podcast stats, it's really hard to draw something meaningful out of that information. So when you uh, and then when you go by the month, it's like okay, well that gets you know uh, a little clouded by seasonality. You know, your podcast downloads might be down in December, or if you're like uh, one of the podcasts we produce, Boss Mom, your podcast downloads might be down in late August going into September because that's when all the kids go back to school. It's like, well, that's nothing wrong with your podcast. Uh, that's There's nothing wrong with the podcast. There's nothing, that's not going to just drive decision-making necessarily about you know, changes to the show just based on one month of having low podcast downloads. So to me, like having it smoothed out in a weekly graph just makes it more readable, gives you a better sense of the trend, which should always be gradually up and to the right if the show is growing and healthy. And it just gives you a better sense of where audience uh, growth is going. So we also changed up one of the things in our update emails to just give our clients information 
on the top episodes of the last 90 days rather than showing the top episodes of all time. So that gives you a better sense of what the best topics are and removes um, the all time best episodes, which actually change less frequently than you might think. You know, we've got, I was looking at our YouTube channel for Real Estate Uncensored and one of our, uh, we've got videos that have, um, like 70,000 views, I think, maybe another one has 40,000, which is great, but they're the same videos that have been on the top of our list for a long, long time. They, for whatever reason, because of the title or the content, they took off, and so they are our most viewed episodes, and that's great, but we are, we've already gleaned the information we need from that. Like we already know why they were successful and we're like, we've, we've already moved on from that. We've already learned the lessons. So telling us over and over again, that those are the top episodes is not as helpful as knowing what's the top episodes of the last 90 days. So we can see what's resonating with our audience right now. So we did that for our clients and the update emails that we send them every week to let them know, Hey, here's the top episodes of the last 90 days. Here's the content that really resonated with your audience just within the last three months. So you can adjust and base your future content on those things that are resonating right now. So that's the third improvement that we made. So the fourth is we want to look for opportunities to uh, put clients on the podcast that we already produce. And this is just kind of an illustration of a more general principle, which is get, get featured on more podcasts. Now we have the luxury of producing a bunch of different shows. Some of them are, are in the same niche, like real estate team building or mortgage or financial services and stuff like that. So we're able to kind of pick and choose clients that work well on other shows, even in other industries. Uh, in some cases, it was just a matter of looking for ways to put our clients onto my show, Real Estate Uncensored or Microfamous or whatever. So it's now a built into a, our weekly meeting to ask the question, hey, what clients should we be putting on shows that we produce? And we also added certain clients into our business development system to specifically look for ways to introduce them to any podcasters that we connect with. So uh, because we don't offer podcast booking as part of our service and with good reason, uh, it's, that gives us a way to kind of systematically get our clients more exposure. So I always want to look beyond just having good intentions. You know, we all have good intentions to, you know, get featured on more podcasts or we have good intentions to introduce people in our network to each other. But I want to go beyond the good intentions and I want to build things into our systems that build those good intentions into our systems, right? That, that solve that challenge once and for all. So weekly questions are a good way to ensure that things stay on your radar. So in our weekly meeting, we're always asking the questions, actually on a list of questions we have for that meeting, what client should we be putting on other shows that we produce? And you can do the same thing for yourself. You know, what, what client of mine could I be introducing to other podcasters that I know? Or you could be asking yourself the question, what have I done this week to get on more podcasts? And if the answer is zero, then that explains why you're not on any podcasts. And you can start to solve that problem. Maybe you reach out to people in your network. Maybe you have your assistant do it, whatever. But you want to always be leveraging opportunities to get on more podcasts. And internally in our agency, we want to look for ways to get our clients onto more podcasts, both in, in the shows that we produce and the shows that we are connected to. So we started to build in a, a thought-provoking question into our weekly meeting to solve that, all right? So let's move on to the next one, which has to do with highlight clips. So uh, social media for podcasting is really interesting because uh, there's not a lot that works. There's not a lot that where you can repackage an element of a podcast and get it to take off as a social media post. So one of the most important or, you know, 
potentially powerful things you could do for social media is to post organically about the episode by asking some sort of thought-provoking question and then talking about the podcast episode that addresses that question in the comments, uh, which is a we totally weird. It's not something that we can necessarily do for you. Uh, it's something one of our clients has brought up because that's how they promote their podcast. It's just extremely difficult for an agency or really anyone else to do that for you. It's something that really only you yourself can do. And that's just about one of the only things that works on social media to actually drive eyeballs because social media companies have basically cracked down on repackaged content from other formats. And at least at this point, they show no willingness to allow anything that sends people off of platform to get any traction on their platform. Now, I'm hoping that changes with Facebook bringing in podcasts into its environment and allowing people to listen to podcasts within the Facebook app. Uh, maybe they'll start to let you know clips of podcast episodes uh, get, get more traction as a post within Facebook e ecosystem. Um, but barring that, at least where we're at right now, um, you, you could see a couple of years ago when Facebook just completely slammed the door shut on uh, a YouTube videos posted to to Facebook. It was like all of a sudden they stopped autoplaying and it was just this stupid looking preview uh, for the YouTube video. And it was very clear you had to click it in order to watch it. Like Facebook made a decision to sabotage the way YouTube videos look on their platform. That's basically a, a form of what's going on with podcasting. So getting back to highlight clips, uh, highlight clips are where we pull out, you know, one to three minute video clip of the best, most compelling, interesting, surprising part of a podcast episode. And it's created for YouTube to catch search traffic, but it's also created to be natively uploaded to a place like Facebook, for example. And we used to have those highlight clips go out a few days after the episode um, to kind of drive traffic back to it because we had other stuff going out the, you know, the same day and multiple posts that first day and then another post the second and third day and stuff like that. Um, and it gave us time to make sure that the video highlight clip was done um, because a lot of times we had like the same video editor doing the episodes itself and then doing the highlight clips. And so we just had it structured in a way that the highlight clip would go out a few days after the initial episode came up to drive traffic back to it. And we just switched that around to where now the highlight clip comes out pretty much the same day the episode comes out and it goes on social media that afternoon. And it's a little subjective because uh, in my mind, highlight clips I can see going out at various times. I don't think there really is a right answer, but all the feedback that we got from our clients um, uh, was around it. Like, hey, if we can put it out that same day, let's put it out the same day. And so we made that change. So it's just something to keep in mind with social media is that there's not a lot in terms of repackaging a podcast that works. Highlight clips are one of the exceptions because you can rip the video and essentially natively upload it to Facebook as long as it's short. Uh, and you get some of the benefit uh, and, and the potential for that to take off if it's natively uploaded to Facebook's platform. Same thing with a you know video like on LinkedIn. Uh, and so a highlight clip, the way that we pull it out for our clients, gives you the chance at that. It doesn't mean, it doesn't guarantee that all of those posts will take off or do better, uh, but at least gives you the chance that if people like it and they resonate with it and they comment on it, that uh, that, that can be shareable and, and Facebook will allow it to share beyond what they would do for something like a YouTube video that's been reposted. All right, let's move on to feedback. So one of the things that we wanted to do uh, this year was get better feedback for our clients on areas for improvement or just when they had a really great episode, like, hey, do more of that. 
So most of our clients are really experienced public speakers and they are frequent podcast guests. So it's always been my belief that they don't need micromanaging. They don't need intensive coaching on how to become better podcasters. They don't need to become better interviewers because I disagree with that whole perspective. If you're selling coaching and consulting, you are not an interviewer. You are not Barbara Walters. You are a respected peer and a colleague to the guest that you are talking to. And you should be able to interject your opinions in an authentic a conversational way, as opposed to doing the Tim Ferriss, ask the most interesting question possible kind of approach. So, so we don't give our clients a bunch of feedback on, Hey, you know, try asking this question instead, or, or, Hey, you know, try to do X, Y, like these small tweaks because they don't need micromanaging. Most of the time, what our clients need is uh, a system where it, it supports them so that where they can just have a relaxed, flowing, natural conversation. And then we do the work behind the scenes to turn that into what sounds like a podcast episode. So that's always been my approach. But some clients did want more feedback from us. And I felt like we needed to give more encouragement where, when clients were kind of getting better over time at podcasting just through repetition. So we started to build in ways to get feedback from like our writers, our audio editors, and get that feedback all the way back to clients. So let's say that you recorded an episode where your microphone sounded particularly good for whatever reason, or maybe an episode was particularly good because you had a great vibe with the guests and you asked some really good questions and it led to some really good conversations. We just wanted to get better at passing that on and celebrating the improvement because uh, Adam Carolla, I remember him saying this years ago. I think I remember him saying it before I ever got into podcasting. The podcasting is just like radio. Most of your improvement is just butts in the seat. Uh, it's just repetition. How many hours in the seat do you have doing the work? So I don't want to uh, destroy client's confidence by micromanaging and giving all this intensive feedback that gets people up in their heads and thinking, oh, should I have asked that? Or oh, Matt said to do this and this. I don't want to give that type of feedback that gets our clients all up in their head. And I don't want you, if you're a podcaster uh, you know, in your own right, to do that either. So I don't want podcasters all up in their heads, second guessing themselves all the times in, in the flow of the conversation. I want you to have a natural, authentic conversation between two respected colleagues that positions you as one of the, you know, uh, someone that your audience listens to and go, oh, I want to work with that person. I want to hire that person. I want to get into that, that person's program. And that doesn't come from just being a better interviewer. So the, that the feedback that we want to give is the stuff on improvement and mic position and, and just some things like that. But we don't want to try to emphasize to our clients, and I don't want to emphasize to you that you need to be a better interviewer. That is not the game that we're playing. All right. So let's get into the final thing that I want to talk about, which is email templates. And these are the emails in this sense <clears throat> that go out to your audience. So one of the changes over the years, uh, just over the time that I've been running the agency, has been the drop in the deliverability of emails, and especially how aggressive email services like Gmail have become about screening. So as an agency, we've started to nudge uh, clients away from heavily branded email templates over the last couple of years. And we're nudging everyone towards extremely personal emails that look like they could have sent, been sent by you off the cuff, at, at least at first glance. Now, once they get into it, Maybe it'll be more obvious that it was a written, professionally written email as opposed to a personal email, but we don't want it to be so branded that just from the subject line or just from the preview line or just from them opening it up and looking at the very top third of it, that it looks like it's corporate and branded to the point where it's impersonal, even though that makes our agency look really good. That's, that's what's funny about it is that 
it, like those branded email templates actually made clients really happy <laughs> because who doesn't love their brand, right? Like I love the Microfamous brand. I want my Microfamous brand splashed on everything. I wear t-shirts about it to the gym, even though nobody cares. Uh, I like it. I love my brand. So I like the way that branded emails look and they make our agency clients really, really happy with us. But they're also the most likely emails to get siphoned off into the promotions folder in Gmail. So we can't do that. So we started, you know, a, year, a couple of years ago, basically started steering people away from that and, and encouraging them to get more personal. And we keep getting more and more and more personal and trying to get their emails that promote their podcast uh, to look just like if it was an email sent out of their Gmail account, sent one-to-one -to, -one to one of their audience members. So because we're trying to basically do two things. We want to avoid the triggering filters that send emails into spam and social folders. And we also want to avoid triggering people's real defenses that come up when they get a corporate looking email. So um, most of our clients sell very personal services like coaching or consulting where they're working with people one-on-one -on -one or in a group. So personal emails do a better job of building the relationship, in my opinion. So those are just some of the improvements that we've implemented that affected most or all of our agency clients. And that doesn't count the improvements that we did that affected specific clients or projects that we took on that didn't end up moving the needle or just weren't scalable to all the clients, whatever. So if you're running a podcast, hopefully this might spur some new ideas for experiments that you can run in your own podcast. And I want to point out the bigger lesson here. And this is something that I picked up from uh, a couple of amazing books, uh, The Systems Mindset and Work the System, both of them by Sam Carpenter. But the principle is this. It's great to build a system. But as soon as you build a system, you also have to build in a way to keep fine-tuning that system. That's what he calls work the system. So you keep on improving. You keep fine-tuning the original system. So we have a system for how we produce podcasts. That's great. But we need a system for how we improve the system. And that's what that is. So we have this kind of system called service improvement projects. And we're always running one or two or three of them at one time. They're typically over, you know, run scrum style over a two-week period so that we can experiment. We can find things that move the needle for clients, and then we can roll those improvements out to other clients. And that's what keeps our system improving over time. So if you think about your business as a collection of systems, you can also ask yourself, okay, what's my system for improving the systems? And if you don't have that, start building that because the systems that you have now, whatever they are, they might be adequate, but they deteriorate over time. If you don't prop them up and keep improving them, they're going to devolve and deteriorate over time. People let things go. People get sloppy. People start using the checklist that you created, whatever. There's a thousand reasons, right? But the universe tends toward entropy, right? That's just the reality. Things tend to fall apart gradually over time. And then all of a sudden, you'll realize that things that seem like they were gradually falling apart will all of a sudden, bam, just completely fall apart, right? That's, how, that's just how things work. And so if you always have a plan and a system for how you're improving the processes in your business, you will avoid that horrible, horrible fate. So we always try to do that. Whenever we have a system, we also have a system for improving the system. So that's the bigger lesson here. Um, as soon as you build a system, you must, you must also build in a way to improve and fine tune the system work the system, as Sam Carpenter would say. So that's what I've got for you. That's how podcasting is changing and how we kept up in 2021. I might do an episode like this next year that shares the results of the things that we're doing right now. Uh, if you want to work with an agency like ours to launch and produce your podcast, we work with coaches and consultants. That's our specialty. Uh, we really want to work with coaches and consultants who want to dominate a fast-growing niche because that's where you have the best chance of getting a podcast that also takes off without you having to be on social media all the time pushing it. Um, and stay tuned because I'm going to do an episode about the difference between push and pull in your marketing, especially when it comes to your podcast. So if you're the person 
or if you hear this mentality, like I just want to, I want to be everywhere. I want to do, I want to push, push this content out all over the place. Uh, that to me, that is a fundamental disagreement with our entire way of doing things. Um, your podcast is not something you push on people. You create something that people want to pull to them. So, so keep on the, on the lookout for that episode, but without further ado, let's cut it off right there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Microfamous podcast.